Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today joining me is Katie Hadley, who is a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified nutrition coach and ISSA certified personal trainer and owner of The Well Factory. She works with individuals to promote overall health and to help manage a wide range of nutrition-related issues. Uh, Katie Hadley, thank you for joining the podcast today. I'm excited to have you on. We met, I did a comedy show up in Carlsbad for, for a bunch of uh, wealthy people. And, <laughs> and you and I had a, a wonderful conversation after the show. I met you, I met your husband, and that's where we talked about you being a wellness coach. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Leo, for having me. And yes, we we thoroughly enjoyed your show. <laughs> and I'm so glad we were able to connect there. Um, I, I've, I've been very passionate about health and wellness for, for most of my life, actually. And I know um, you are, we started talking about how veganism had helped you and and we kind of had that connection about how um, food is such such a huge factor and in, in help and and how we can just um, improve our lives through not only food but fitness and what we'll be talking about today so thanks for having me yeah you know it's, it's so true um, you know, I just started a, a sugar anonymous group and I'm sure my listeners are tired of hearing me talk about that, but I, I bring it up because we are talking about how food can affect our mental health. And uh, so many people I think are in despair and distress. Um, and they don't even realize how their nutrition, it may be contributing to it. Um, I know for me, if I have too many sugars, in my diet, it, I mean, I become emotional. Uh, it disrupts my sleeping. Um, I feel inflamed. It just, it just, just regulates me. It throws me off balance. And I, I don't know what for you, Katie, led you down this path of wellness. So I, I've pretty much been a health and wellness junkie most of my life. Um, I grew up in a, in a family that ate pretty healthily before it was a thing to, to eat healthy, <laughs> especially in California, um, and all over the, the country. Um, but, uh, we always had a giant garden and a big pile of vegetables on our plate for dinner every night. And, and, uh, I actually stopped eating red meat myself when I was 14. Um, so I, um, for just a little quick background, um, my career was in marketing. I owned an event marketing agency with my husband for 20 years, and we sold the business a few years back. And once the initial euphoria of, of uh, selling this business that you've been working on for so long had gone away, I, I kind of struggled with finding my identity and my and my purpose again, I, I think. So um, it wasn't until my dad actually uh, suffered from dementia for 10 years that the health and wellness 
part of my life really became this driving factor, this, this new purpose for me. Um, I, the, you know, I don't know if you, I know that you've also lost a father to, to a devastating disease. And I think, um, a lot of people might feel this same kind of, um, I just, I felt the fear that it would happen to myself. So I, I saw this horrible disease take my dad's mind little by little over 10 years. And I, and I just thought, oh my gosh, if there's anything that I can be doing, um, eating something differently, was it an environmental factor? Was it completely genetics? What, what is it that I can be doing? So this horrible dementia doesn't happen to me or my family members. I have two kids. Um, and so it was really this new purpose I'd found after kind of losing that purpose with my business beforehand. You talk about growing up with a garden, veggies on your plate for most of your meals, you know, you're kind of a, a wellness junkie. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would assume that it would have been a bit confusing for you to grow up in such a a healthy household and then to see your father become overtaken with dementia. Was that part of the emotion for you? Absolutely. Because looking back, I, I always felt that my, my dad in particular was a very healthy eater uh, for the most part. I mean, there were, there were sugars involved. There was, there was meat involved, of, of course, but for the most part, I mean, we were drinking uh, cider vinegar before it was, uh, you know, unfortunately as a kid, not the best thing that you want to be drinking, but um, for wellness back then. So I, I, I thought, what, what could he have done differently? Was it something that he was eating so much of, or was there something that he just hadn't thought about eating? What, what was it? So I just really wanted to find out. And obviously with dementia, there's, there are still so many questions as to why this disease happens to so many people. And there's not really a clear cut answer yet, but, um, there, there have been, um, lots and lots of studies that show that inflammation in general um, can cause this these um, tangles in your brain. So um, I kind of started going in into that uh, realm into like anti-inflammatory foods and if that was something you know looking and seeing maybe maybe my dad didn't eat this well, well I think he did or, you know, just adding all of those things that I could remember that he had eaten or he hadn't eaten. It was kind of a, a just kind of a, a desperate measure for me to find out. So um, in doing that, I just really got into health and, and the, the science of nutrition in general. And I realized all this information I was finding out for myself that I was so passionate about sharing it with other people as well. And then, especially for people that are in their forties, you know, I, I work with a lot of women in particular, but men as well. Um, you know, these are, 
these are all things that we struggle with. Maybe they have people in their lives that are also their, their minds are failing or, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are wanting to lose weight and kind of get their bodies back into health or in general. So I just felt a real passion to kind of, um, tell everybody what I've been learning and just try to help them in some way. It's just such a, a a devastating thing to see a loved one going through, um, such an illness, whether it's, you know, heart, heart disease or diabetes or dementia or depression, anxiety, all of these things. Um, there seems to be a definite link with food. Um, there may be other factors in general, like environment and genetics, of course, but there are some things that we can be doing for ourselves and I'm surely doing it in my life and I'm trying to help as many people as I can do it as well. Yeah. You know, you said a 10 year battle with dementia and I can't imagine what the range of emotions you went through to watch someone slowly deteriorate like that over time. Yes. When he, yeah. can you talk to us about what those emotions were? And, and because there's so many people out there who are struggling with this. A lot of people have chronic illnesses and they have parents who have chronic illnesses and they feel guilt and shame because of maybe some of the emotions that are coming up for them during this. Absolutely. And, yes. And then what did you feel at the, when he passed away? Was it both grief and relief? So he could take us through that. Sure, sure. Yes. And you're absolutely right. It is. um, It is at the point when my when my dad after these 10 years did did actually pass away. My, my mom had been his primary caregiver for all of those years. And we had kind of seen the decline over the years, to the point where it's just kind of a a very surreal experience when you have a a father who was very important in your childhood and raising you, right. Um, can no longer recognize you or, or even himself for that matter. Um, and then eventually it just, it, it starts out with him forgetting some things or maybe his personality changing, getting a little bit um, maybe saying some things that he normally wouldn't have said and, um, and kind of as children or as, uh, as looking on, it's kind of upsetting to see that this person is really changing. And then when there's very dramatic things where, you know, they can't walk anymore and you're, and you're just seeing, they can't, they can't speak in sentences anymore. And sometimes even just, in literal nonsense words and maybe one or two words now and then it's such a it's such a thing to watch as a child or you know i i think the worst part too not the worst part but another part that you feel j- just horror and guilt for is for for your mom who is actually losing the love of her life i think that was the hardest one of the hardest parts for me is, you know, um, that she, her life was never going to be the same either. So it's a, it's a really heartbreaking 
disease and it gets to the point where, you know, when they can't um, speak anymore, they can't eat anymore, they're, as a child, you kind of do have this feeling of, you know, guilt that you want their suffering to stop. Um, But it is a very real emotion that you're feeling. And it, it was almost a relief um, when he did pass. And it, and you kind of have to just work through those emotions of not, not feeling bad about what you, what you thought of his (laughs) release of all the pain. So it definitely is a very heartbreaking thing to go through. Um, and there, I think that's why I, I remember this one time with my dad, when he was, he was very confused at this point and he spent many hours just sitting in his chair, looking out into, into nothingness. Honestly, he would, we would wonder what he was thinking about and he couldn't really speak anymore in many sentences, but I was sitting in the room with him and he looked over at me and he said, why am I here? I I shouldn't be here anymore. And I, I think at that point, that was literally one of the most heartbreaking moments I've, I've ever witnessed because it, it was, you know, just, he was in such a vulnerable state. And as a child, it's, it's such a strange, um, uh, turn of events to be the stronger one in the relationship with your father. So it, it, that's, that's one of those moments I will never forget, but that is the, the one kind of the, the aha moment that, that really pushed me into nutrition and, and health and, and coaching people on, um, how to hopefully keep this from happening to them. So Talk, tell me more about this. The you talk about the heartbreak as a child, and some of the guilt. Where did you go? Did you have siblings that you could talk to? Were you, did you feel like you could talk to your mom about your emotions? Did you grow up in a, in a household where, you know, you could cry and share, or did you suppress and just channel it into purpose? Yeah. Well. I, I am the youngest of five children. So, um, there my, and we've always been able to, we're, we've always been able to, to talk about our feelings, um, and, um, and our emotions and, and my mom has always been there to talk, uh, it through as well. But, um, it's funny because I, I always, there there's one thing that I never could really talk to my mom about. And it was that feeling that I felt that I did want this relief for my dad that that death brought. And I think she felt the same as well. And it wasn't until after my dad had died that we both um, were able to kind of discuss that with each other. And we really did help each other work through uh, that guilt of having that moment of of feeling that way, and I grew up in a um, in a very religious family. My my father um, was a very religious man, and um, and so you know we were able to talk it through that way as well 
And for, for me, that was very comforting um, because I knew my dad was where he had always hoped he would be. And um, so I think for me, that was a big comfort. Um, but my sisters um, and my brother, we all, we all would talk about um, how we felt about the last 10 years. And, and so I did have them to talk to, which is, which is great. Um, and it was, it was a lifesaver for me because you really do need someone to, to talk it through with especially if you don't have any, any friends that have gone through it before. But luckily I was born into that family of five. So, uh, they were, we were each other's support system. Yeah. I can't imagine what that feels like to be the youngest of five and also feel like I have to be the stronger one in the relationship with my father. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's definitely, um, an emotion that I will never forget. Um, it just really, I could, I could almost see myself above the room at that point. It's just a strange, uh, strange feeling, just seeing me almost as the parent and, and my father as, as this helpless child that. I couldn't really do anything for, but I wanted to so much. And it was just kind of a, just such a surreal experience that, that one moment. So you talk about seeing yourself above the room and, but you also talked about how religion was comforting. How did religion comfort you? How did it grind? How did it not grind you, but ground you? Because so many people struggle with, God and religion and, you know, people are split on, um, you know, their views on God. How did it comfort you and how did it ground you? Right. So, you know, because my, because my father was, he, he was an elder in the church and he was, he was always, um, a large figure in the church where we, where we were. And he, it was, it, and that trickled down into our family life. Um, you know, um, he always instilled in his children, um, the, the need for God and the need for believing in something after this life that's better. So I think for, for all of, all of the children, all and myself, um, in particular growing up, sometimes that was a little hard to take, um, being this this father who, you know, he, he kind of ruled the roost in our, in our family. Um, and, and really religion played such a big part, whether sometimes as a child you wanted it to or not. And looking back now, I sometimes kind of resented it growing up, but now now that he's gone, there's so many times different Bible verses he shared with me or, or, or things that I truly believed and wanted to believe even without seeing, I, you know, I have, I have that faith that there is something more out there. And, um, and I, I'm thankful for my dad for being kind of tough on us when it came to to uh, going to church every Sunday and and um, and listening to those um, 
Bible verses that he always taught us. And, and, and now they became a comfort to me. I, they really did. And I, and I really am thankful for him for that. Uh, even though I, I don't think I saw it back then, but after he died, I definitely, you know, I say, okay, I get it now, you know? Um, and, uh, that's, that's something that I think has been a huge help for, for all of my family, as much as we, you know, didn't appreciate it back then. I think now we can kind of draw upon some of those things that he taught us over the years and, and it is a true comfort to us. So I would imagine that you guys are going to church on Sundays. You're saying prayers before <laughs> meals. Um, uh, well, um, not every Sunday anymore, but we, we do have, we do have a real, a real faith, um, uh, in, in my family and my, uh, my, my children and my husband, but, um, we don't, we don't go to church every week, but we do have, um, a real relationship. I feel like, um, with God that not always needs to be at church, but I do, um, I do definitely feel, um, that we have a relationship, whether it's at church every Sunday or not. And growing up, that was absolutely something we had to do. So, um, you know, maybe that's, <laughs> that's the reason we don't go every week. I don't know, but, um, but I can always get better at that. Right. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I haven't been to church in forever. I, I download a podcast sermon. And so, you know, yeah. over here, I, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm like driving, I'm like, doing, I'm like cleaning a house and listening to, you know, some praise or worship. Uh, right. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. So you talked about how religion uh, was part of comforting you during that time. What else comforts you in times of emotional distress? Well, I think, I think this is when, um, you know, luckily I, I have a husband that I can talk to if I, if, um, if I have, like now, if I'm, if I'm worried about something emotionally stressful or even about my dad still, because he's, he's lost his dad as well. So he has that, um, that to fall back on to help me with. Um, so, but a lot of times for me, when I'm emotionally stressed, I really look to, for me, it's spending that time alone, maybe um, going for a hike or, or getting in a workout or something that's really making me shut my mind off for, for a moment and just really focusing on the task at hand. And usually for me, that does include some form of exercise. I feel like that's such a really good release for me. And I, and I tell my clients, you know, how important that is, um, you know, I feel like those, those endorphins that, that you get, um, when you exercise and, um, the energy that you, that you get in your body. And, um, you know, we know we're protecting our bones and burning calories. It just is something that I really kind of gravitate to when I'm feeling anxious or depressed about something or just having a really 
hard time in life with some, with a relationship or whatever. So that's kind of what I do. And I think it's for my clients. I, I often tell them, you know, if you're feeling bad about yourself, uh, it's time to, to go out for a run (laughs) or go, go for a hike or take your dog for a walk or something. So that's, that's what I do. Yeah, there's something very soothing and comforting about being outdoors, being with nature. I had a I had someone on Elena Artnick who's a, a free diver, you know, and she on one breath would would go like I forget how like 9,000 feet below. I mean, that's ridiculous, but Oh yeah. Um uh, but she basically could hold her breath for like 4 or 5 minutes uh and and sink down. And she said what she loved about the depth, because I was like, what about sharks and, you know, other things? And she said, you know, the sharks on land are more dangerous. But um, (laughs) she said what she loved about sinking to that depth is that there was no judgment. Mm. There there was no, um, you know, she didn't have to worry about what people thought of her or how they saw her. It, It was the one time she felt like she could just be. And... I sense that when I go hiking, I mean, now that everybody's home um, and they're hiking, I got to hike a little further to get that alone time. (laughs) It's like everybody went out and got like some trekking poles and a flashlight. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) That is definitely true. That's definitely true. Uh, Yes, I, I totally agree. You are you are in the zone. You're you're alone in your in your thoughts and and like you said no one no one is is judging you there's it's very pure and it feels it feels great another another thing too when i do feel sorry for myself if you will if i'm feeling sorry for myself my husband will tell me go call your mom if you feel sorry for yourself go call your mom because she has it worse than you she you know because she is still after three and a half years um, dealing with the the grief of losing my father. And it kind of snaps me back into, into state, if you will, um, that there are so many people that are that have so many other problems and and trials way worse than whatever I'm going through. So that kind of snaps me into state, like, go call your mom go see what she's doing, make her feel good. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I do as well. And it, and it does, it does put perspective on whatever is bothering me. You know, I've just started practicing that calling my mom. I used to be (laughs) like, I'm an adult. I got this. I don't need to call my mom. What does she know? And I got to tell you, you know, our parents, you know, I, I can't speak for all parents, but the the things that I resented my mom for and was kind of put off by are the things that I'm now appreciating, you know, because my mom wasn't a very emotional person. And I find that when I am feeling uh, emotional or in distress, I can call her to kind of balance me out because she has such an objective point of view she's been through hurricanes and loss and she, you know, she had a bunch of siblings and um, just, you know, being an immigrant from another country, 
Like she's just very like day by day. We're like, I'm catastrophizing five, 10, 20 years from now. And, you know, she's stopping to smell the roses. And when I call and talk to her just about life, not just not, I don't call her to talk about what I'm going through, but just about life. Like I always feel 10 times better. Now when she calls me, I feel worse. But when I call her, I feel, I don't know what the, <laughs> this calls me with her stuff. But when I call her, I'm like, I'm so glad I called you. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It's, it's, it's something that it almost simplifies life in a way when we talk to, to our moms, I feel like, and, and, um, and, and we're that, we're that kid again, we are their child and, and we can feel a little bit more vulnerable, uh, with them than we, than we usually have to show to other people. So I feel like I do, I do always feel better, uh, when I talk to my mom and, and, the good daughter I am, I do try to call her daily, even though she is on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. But uh, we may chat for literally five minutes, but um, it does kind of keep us uh, keep us attached somehow um, through the miles. And I do think, like you said, it just it does make you feel good when you call them. Like you said, when they call you, it's usually something more important. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, that's, that's what you have to do. Call your mom when you're feeling bad about yourself. So I want to backtrack a little bit because we are talking exercise, nutrition. I know we haven't gotten too deep into that, but there are parts of it that are so valuable. And what I mean by that is, you know, earlier you mentioned that you had a marketing agency with your husband and that you two sold it. And I want to go back to that because the amount of communication and effective communication that you two had to have had to not only start the business, but to build the business and then to sell it, uh, I'm sure, uh, profitably, um, a lot of people don't even have that in their intimate relationship. So it's fascinating that you two have been able to have that intimately and business-wise is that something that you had to work on? And what did you learn from that? And I'm asking about that because a lot of, well, I know when I go to the foods, when I overeat, when I binge or, uh, you know, uh, wh whatever my food issue is, um, it's because I really don't feel seen, heard, or understood. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine a lot of people struggle with food because of something going on in their relationships. And it's not just about the food. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, it it does have a lot to do with relationships, I think. And and going back to the relationship that I had with my husband, working with him um, for for twenty years. Um, when I tell people that, they usually have a similar response that you did. Like, how how did you actually do that? Because um, when you're living with someone and working with them, I mean, that is too much for a lot of people. So for whatever reason, I think, I think the reason it worked is in the beginning, my husband had started this business. Um, I had been working at an ad agency prior and he asked me to come, come on board with him. Um, and I think the fact that I kind of let 
let him grow the business in the way that he wanted to grow it um, and see the big picture of where the business was going, that our relationship worked, um, living together, working together. I was more of the day-to-day, what do we need to do today? And, and he was much more of the big picture. So I think that is how we survived all of those years and thrived with the business because we both had different jobs and we did not cross uh, each other's paths in that way. We worked side by side, but tried never to step on each other's toes because we had completely different jobs to do. That long-term vision was his and hey, we've got to get this done today before the end of the day was mine. So we worked very well together. And I do know that obviously that doesn't happen all the time. Of course, every relationship, uh, you you fight every once in a while. Um, and of course, that happens with us too. Um, and probably we do tend to, to eat differently when that happens. Um, just because we're so frustrated and we just don't want to deal with with uh, thinking about that other person necessarily. So, um, but I think, you know, that's what a lot of the, the people that I talk to that are also kind of in their 40s um, and they've, you know, they've, they're, they're maybe married or, or divorced or busy raising their families or, or pursuing their careers or, or maybe empty nesters or changing careers. And I do know that food is for them, uh, this emotional crutch that a lot of, a lot of people use. And, you know, the chances are through the years when we were in our twenties, we, we may have been these lean, mean fighting genes. Right. And then as we, have children or just are wrapped up in our career, our health and, and fitness takes a backseat. So, and, you know, our society doesn't really promote health and fitness in general. I mean, food companies worry very little about the health of people, right? Um, their job is to, to kind of make things that taste good and are addicting as possible. So we buy more of it. Um, and so I think, you know, we're constantly bombarded by sugary, you know, sugary goodness, right? And highly saturated foods that, you know, sound sound with the commercials and billboards and in grocery stores, it's really hard to resist. So I think that's where many of us end up when we are in our 40s. And then one day we wake up and, and we're who we were is completely out of reach physically, you know, and, and then emotionally because our bodies have just changed um, because of the aging process, of course, and then partly due to Doritos and donuts and things like that. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, so we're kind of stuck in this rut and we're all struggling with these same kind of problems and insecurities as we age. I think. You know, I love that statement when you said who we were is completely out of reach. 
Can you, can yeah. you say more about that? Because I feel like that's such a powerful statement. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think over 20 years, right, we we never all of the weight, all of the all of our struggles, they, they don't come all at once. Right. They don't come in a wheelbarrow to us and say, here you go. Here's all the weight you're going to gain and put it on you. And, um, you know, it just happens over days, over weeks, over months of unhealthy habits that we kind of, that aren't really working for us at all. Right. So, I mean, it's partly due to the aging process that it's out of reach. I mean, by the age of 30, I think they say that most people lose about a half a pound of muscle a year. So there's that, right? There's that natural aging process. And then we have, you know, a few wrinkles here and there. And, and, and we see this, these low fat, no fat 20 somethings, right. That, um, with all these doctored images from social media or TV and, and even the person I don't care how strong you are in your self-esteem, but that can, that can get us down. I mean, I, I, I don't believe anyone is immune to, to those images that we see. And so by the time we realize it, some, you know, 30 or 40 pounds or, or hundred pounds have, have, uh, you know, cropped up on our bodies and now we're living with it. And to, to lose a hundred pounds, even 30, even 20 pounds is very daunting to, to many people. And I think that's why it's, it's such a desperate feeling and such a, a just a dis- disheartening place to be. Um, and I think, you know, we all kind of struggle with that knowing like, how do I get back to, to that person that I was or the person I want to be? It's just, it's literally it seems impossible. So, and then, you know, cue the depression and the loathing your bodies, you know, and, um, and then I, as women in particular, I feel like, um, wrinkles are something that we should never, never have. And I think that's just an unrealistic view of, of what to expect as we age. Um, you know, we, we can't do much about some of those things, but we are a hundred percent in control of what we put into our bodies. So I try to incorporate that into my, my teaching is that even as daunting and as extremely out of reach as it seems to get back to you, the one you want to be back to, you have to start somewhere you have to start today and tiny tiny increments you know you don't what's the saying you don't eat a an elephant in in one bite you take it bits at a time and that is what we have to remember otherwise it's so overwhelming that we'll never get beyond it and we'll we'll gain even more weight and feel even more depressed um so that's what that's what we have to work on is kind of taking that one bite of bite at a time approach to anything, to anything we want to change. It's not working for us. I love it. Taking it slow, taking it inch by inch, because otherwise it could feel overwhelming. It could feel mm-hmm. so daunting that we just shut down, isolate and withdraw instead of engaging exactly. 
and and sharing, you know, opening up and, and taking a chance of being vulnerable. Right. You know, earlier, you talked about, you know, how what helped your relationship thrive and survive is, you know, recognizing that he's big picture in your day to day. But obviously in that frustrations occur. And whether you're talking about a husband or a business partner or whoever, frustrations occur in our relationships and our communication. And at some point we have to um, mend those tears in our relationship. We have to repair. We have to find a way to recover from, you know, whatever differences that we have. How, how do you guys navigate that? How do you, do you just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or do you just like move on from it? What was your process for repairing those moments? Sure. I think, I think our process for repairing those moments has always been laughter. Honestly, um, we, as mad as we can be and, and, you know, some, some fights are really serious topics and you think, well, a joke couldn't, couldn't, um, help that situation, but I have found, and I think we would both agree over the years, um, disarming whatever, whatever malice we're feeling toward each other with some inside joke or some, some joke that has some relevance to the topic at hand, or maybe nothing relevant at all, but something that we know will make the other person laugh for us. That seems to be some little magic pill that we, we, uh, we throw at each other when we're, um, when we're having this real intense, um, argument or dislike for each other, honestly. So, um, that, that for us has, has seemed to work. I don't know if it works for everyone. I'm sure it doesn't, but that is something that, you know, we, we always fall back on. And I think in any relationship, you have to think about, put it into perspective, you know, is this, is this serious enough for you to, to end your relationship with this person forever? Probably not. There's so many things that we can work through, right? If we just kind of sit back, relax, don't discuss it at night. I feel like that's a very important uh, factor because when you're tired, nothing seems, nothing, everything is going out of proportion. But I think you really have to kind of step back and say, hey, is this important enough for me to lose this person forever in, in, in my life? And so I think whatever the, the argument is, whatever it is, I think you have to kind of take that into perspective and say, no, if it's not, if the answer is no, then you have to just be okay with that answer and, and try to smooth it over. And usually for us, that is a joke. Uh, so do you have like a bunch of jokes at hand? Are you like writing down <laughs> one-liners? Or, or, Maybe uh, you could give me some, <laughs> some, some good jokes I could throw in there, but no, no one-liners, but I feel like I, I can't give you any examples necessarily, but uh, I would be glad to take any from you if you can figure that out. <laughs> you know, it, it's true. The, the laughter is, 
it definitely helps. I, I've noticed that even with Michelle and myself, uh, you know, usually we pick a program to watch together at night. And if we if we watch like a thriller or some drama, uh, the tension from the show usually permeates into our, our energy towards each other. But yeah. if we watch something funny like Curb Your Enthusiasm or some mm-hmm. silly like those <laughs> travel shows or something like that, or like even a cooking show, it could even be something that's kind of neutral. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that you know the energy between us it, it it's really affected by what we're consuming and watching and to the point where like I stopped reading the news as much and because uh, I was just realizing how that was affecting how I was showing up in into the world and in my yeah. relationship so you're right laughter uh, is so big um, and it's so you know we're talking about food and, and nutrition talk to us about like how you work with your clients and like mm-hmm. what that process looks like sure so you know most of most of my clients in general they they are at the point where they're they're needing or wanting i should say to lose 30 or 40 pounds you know they've kind of put themselves on the back burner for so long and and now they're they're at the point that they're exhausted um, and, and they, they just don't want to feel that way anymore. So we really, I'm a, I'm a big, big proponent of goal setting and, um, and positive mindset, right. And uh, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and gratitude, all of those things we talk about not only, you know, nutrient rich foods or hydration or exercise. Um, you know, some people I talk to do, do not even like to exercise. So, um, we talk about the importance of moving your body and, and sleep and reducing stress and, and those cortisol levels that can cause poor sleep and weight gain and anxiety and depression and all of that. So, we we talk about all those different topics, um, but I do start out every um, every session with really figuring out what what people what their specific goal is, right? And um, the more specific, the better. Obviously, like I really want them to be writing it down daily, and I I do believe one hundred percent there is a magic in that. Um, and I, I, I say, you know, put it, put it on a sticky on your bathroom, on your uh, bathroom mirror and, and write it every day. Don't leave the same one up, rip it up and then write it again the next day. Because if it's, if you can see it and hear it in your mind, I, I so believe that there is such a power in goal setting. And like I said, a lot of people's goals are to get back into some sort of shape outside. And then, you know, I want to stress the importance of getting in shape inside as well. And that the outside will follow suit. Right. So, um, we talk about all that. I, I, I go to the grocery store with them. We do field trips. We do pantry purges, if, if you will, just kind of making them aware of, reading labels and and how much sugar and saturated fat and, and are in things that they never knew they were in like granola bars and yogurt and, and things like that. So, um, I try to make it, uh, 
a fun experience because losing weight isn't fun. Let's face it. Right. It's, it's more fun to, to eat things that taste really great. But what I am teaching and hope to teach my clients is that healthy food can also taste good. So, um, and, and hopefully, uh, by the time we end our sessions with each other, they'll actually crave healthy food more than junk. So that's, that's kind of my approach. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that anti-inflammatory diet and, and even, um, if they're not into, you know, veganism is, is quite a, a nasty word to some or scary, I should say. Um, because a lot of people just don't know what that actually means or how anything could actually taste good that way. But, um, you know, I, I, I do love that lifestyle and I believe it's a healthy lifestyle, but I also, you know, if they're not into, into, uh, vegan meals per se, I think I, I kind of, I think the Mediterranean diet is, is also a good way for, um, to get many of the nutrients that we need to help depression and anxiety and dementia and all of that, as well as to create this healthy body. I noticed, you know, what I love about what you said is writing it down every day. It's, it's something that I've started to put in practice. I, I have like notes in my cell phone and I, I look at it, I add to it, I tweak it. I try to talk about it and visualize it on a day to day. And, um, but I like the idea of writing it so you can see it. And I know that people talk about saying it out loud, um, mm -hmm. you know, every day, but it's like whatever you feel really connected to. So I love that. But you, I also noticed that you said, write down your, did you say goal or goals? Cause I know that some people like have one thing and some people like you can write down 10 things. How do you help somebody whittle down to their right. one thing? Yeah, that's a good point too, because you're right. A goal there, if I had to say what my goal was right this moment, there would be several of them, right? So, but the goal when, when I'm working with people is usually very clear. They're, they're coming for, for help with weight loss. So when I, when we talk about that, we just don't say, you know, I want to lose weight. Uh, or I want to lose 20 pounds. Well, what does that look like? Right. So it needs to be very specific. I always say, you know, that one, one of my clients now, um, her birthday is coming up her 50th birthday and she wants to be able to, um, in December and she wants to be able to look good at her birthday. So what does that mean? Looking good. So, you know, that, that, extrinsic motivation for her is for people to look at her and say, wow, you look great. What have you done? Um, and then, you know, her intrinsic motivation that we talk about is that she feels accomplished by, by losing this weight. So in writing her goals, I, I say, let's be very specific by December 20th, I will be one 45 or whatever, whatever the weight is that, that they're shooting for. Um, and so we want to be as specific as we can. Right. So there's 
and it, and it can't be, I want to lose 200 pounds, you know, by December. Well, that's not realistic. So it has to be realistic, but it also has to be something timely with a date so we can see it daily. So on that sticky that I have them write every morning, that whole sentence is always on it by this time, this date, I, you know, December 20th, I will be 145 or one or 200 on the scale, whatever it is. So, um, that's, that's kind of for, for my clients, the one goal that we just have to kind of narrow it down and make it super specific. So there's no wiggle room. I love that setting a date, being specific, writing it down. And then also, you know, what sounds like is really important is working with somebody else so that there's an accountability factor. It, you know, I think a lot of, when I hear about people, um, um, you know, going back or reverting back to, you know, the 30 or 40 pounds that they lost, usually it's like after they've quit the program, after they've lost that support, after they've, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they get, they get to that place where the ego kicks in and go, I got this. Um, I don't need right. a coach or a therapist or, you know, I, I, when I, when I work with clients, the first thing I say is like, listen, you're going to feel great immediately. And then you're going to think you don't need to keep coming back. And that's exactly when you need to come back is when you're feeling great and lucid because that, that hurricane's coming back. Like you're, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 in, you're in hurricane uh, territory. You know what I'm saying? This is Oklahoma. It, it, it doesn't just get one hurricane. So uh, <laughs> let's stick to it. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. I mean, accountability is something that that where you see results that is the bottom line and when you have no one waiting for you at the gym at 6 p 6 a.m before work or if you have no one that's you know keeping you accountable for how you did last week and uh, maybe your goal is to lose a pound a week right so if you if that goes away and it gets more loose right and you can kind of you kind of know the parameters, but Hey, I'm going to have dessert and wine, or I'm going to have, you know, all, all of these factors come into play when, you know, you don't have to look that person in the eye the following week, then that's when it gets hard. And, and that's definitely, whether it's from family members or a coach or from, from a best friend, that accountability is key in following through with getting, uh, getting to your goal and, and living there, right. Staying there in that happy place. I I love that accountability and and staying there in that happy place. And you know, there are going to be days where you don't want to get up and go to the gym. So you talked about mindset. What, what's the, how do they reframe it? What do they say to themselves on those mornings where, going to the gym is so daunting and their body just feels so heavy and, you know, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it goes back to that, you know, one little step at a time, right. With that, you know, the, the elephant, you, you take it one bite at a time. If you, I always suggest to, to my clients, the first thing, if you're not going to, to an office, to the office, go ahead and put your workout clothes on the first thing when you get up. That way you're giving your body a signal that, hey, I've got this on, put your sneakers on, 
get ready. There's no excuse once you have, once you're all suited up and ready to go. Right. I feel like that's worked for me over the years because yeah, there are some times that you just do not want to go, but if you're, if you don't have that accountability of someone meeting you at the gym, give yourself that advantage by putting those workout clothes on the first thing in the morning. So before you shower, before you do all that, if you're not going to the office, go do it. Um, as the day progresses, we can think of more and more excuses as to why we can't fit the gym in, right? So if we, I encourage them to do it in the morning if that works for them, because the excuses pile up at the end of the day and then we don't end up doing it. And it really is just about one day making one good decision a day, right? Um, to get you to that end goal. Yeah, you know, because for a lot of people, I'm surprised at how many people don't really have exercise and movement as a practice. And so, you know, one of the things I share with clients is, you know, just practice going to the gym. Don't even make mm -hmm. it about the working out. Because if you've never been to the gym, going to the gym can be like too much. And talk about taking baby <laughs> steps. So just kind of get that into your muscle memory of just going to the gym and what that feels like. And then, you know, and, and then we can work on a, on a working out. But just see what it feels like to get up, go to the gym. Because you're right. I love that. Wake up. Do the hard thing first. Everything else is going to mm -hmm. be easy breezy after after that morning workout. So I love that because so many people are working from home. And then you sit down and your back starts to ache and your feet swell up because you've been at the desk. And now you don't want to go anywhere because you're feeling all lethargic and you ate a big lunch. So exactly, uh, exactly. Get it done. What are you looking forward to, Katie? What am I looking forward to? You know, I am I am looking forward to uh, hopefully, you know, with with the the pandemic over the year and the last year and the half and a half, I'm I'm feeling hopeful that that eventually life will will get back to normal. You know, I ha I just I enjoyed um, just seeing a comedy show in person. The the comedy show that you had the other night. I mean, it was such um, just a needed release to to laugh and, and see people in person. It was just I'm looking forward to getting back to more of those, those experiences. I'm looking forward to getting back to, uh, to being social with people. And, um, and, and I'm hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic, of course, but I am hopeful that we're headed in that direction because, you know, the, the, if we're not, then, then that's very disheartening. So I am hopeful that that that's what's in the future. And, and, you know, I'm, I've done a lot of zoom calls with my clients because of whether they're across the country or because of COVID and I'm looking forward to looking them in the eyes again and, and really getting, having that connection that, that makes us human. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And how can people reach out to you? Well, you can reach out to my website, thewellfactory.com. You can message me there, or you can follow me on Instagram at thewellfactoryhealthcoaching. Um, and, 
And again, I, I do zoom and one-on-one coaching. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to help as many people as I can and, and, uh, make this world a little bit healthier. Right. I love it. And then last question asked this of all my guests is always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Oh my gosh, that it's, wow. That's, that is, that's never the right answer. There's, there's always help. There's always someone you can talk to. And, um, we are all so important in this life. You just may not understand or can, you can't see why at this moment, but there is something great for you in the future. And, never make that, um, the way out. You, you'll find your greatness. Ooh, you'll find your greatness. I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, you can go to thrive with Leo dot com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly let's get to tomorrow together thank you so much katie thank you leo for having me